Thanks for tuning in. This edition of Outcasting will begin in a few moments. Outcasting is produced by Media for the Public Good, formerly WDFH, Westchester Public Radio. Non-commercial, non-profit, and volunteer-powered. One of the things that makes a show like Outcasting possible is financial support from listeners like you. Please visit us at mfpg.org and click on Support to make your tax-deductible contribution. And connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube at Outcasting Media. And now, Outcasting. I have a saying, you can't design a flag. A flag is torn from the soul of the people. And the reason that the rainbow flag works so brilliantly is because nobody owns it. It belongs to, the rainbow belongs to everybody. And the flag belongs to everybody. So my idea about what it represents and what that means to me is different than you and everybody else has their own thing. That's power. And that's beautiful. This is Outcasting, Public Radio's LGBTQ youth program, where you don't have to be queer to be here. Outcasting is a production of Media for the Public Good, a listener-supported independent producer based in New York, online at outcastingmedia.org. Hi, I'm Alex, a youth participant in Outcasting's main studio in Westchester County, New York. On this edition of Outcasting, I talk with Gilbert Baker, a gay activist. He was best known for creating the rainbow flag, the most identifiable symbol of the gay community. We recorded this interview on March 1st, 2017. Barely a month later, Gilbert died unexpectedly in his sleep in his apartment in Manhattan in New York City. He was 65 years old. This is one of his last interviews. Here at Outcasting, we are heartbroken over the loss of our friend Gilbert. Many of our guests join us by telephone, but Gilbert wanted to join us in person so that he could meet us and spend some time talking with us. As an activist for over 40 years, Gilbert fought for the protection and advancement of gay rights. The greatest reward he received was seeing how his images empower the LGBTQ community. My generation of young LGBTQ people are given an identity by his flag. Inclusion, freedom, and the power of choice, all symbolized in the rainbow flag, are ideas that we need to hold close, especially now that LGBTQ rights are called into question. In this interview, Gilbert talks about the history of the LGBTQ community and the current political climate in the United States. This is the second part of a two-part interview. Both parts are available on our website, outcastingmedia.org. Hi, Gilbert. Thanks for talking with us today. Thanks, Alex. So how do you think the LGBTQ community can better combat the amount of homophobia that we've seen in our country, even though we had one of the largest gender marches in the last months? I don't have the answer to that entirely. I think a lot of it has to do with being aggressive and standing up and being outspoken about our rights and, you know, insisting on them and persisting with the message. That's a struggle for us. We are nonviolent and yet we live in a violent society. We embrace Martin Luther King. We embrace Gandhi. We embrace that idea that love wins. But when you live in a world where guns kill, it's kind of hard to see how we're going to stop that. That's a very big puzzle that we have not solved. I, I believe that we have to be vigilant. I believe that we have to hold to our ideals and our truths. But I also believe in we have to defend ourselves. And, you know, when they're kicking in the door and they're coming with guns, 
what are we going to do? And that's the challenge ahead of us is how do we stop it? How do we resist without becoming them? And all of a sudden, women were lesbians. They went a place. Okay, then it was bisexual, transgender. But why are they first? Lesbians, gay, bisexual, and that's ladies first. It, even though history will show that it was gay first, and then lesbian, and then bisexual. All of these were huge fights. I remember going to a big congress of all kinds of gay leaders and you know movers and shakers. Now all those in favor of adding T, transgender. This is like way back in the 90s. And we had a big vote. And you know what? It lost. You know, same with lesbians. You know, a lot of women did not want to embrace the word lesbian. They were gay women for whatever reason. And there's a huge sexist thing in the gay male world where it's like, oh, women, you know, I can't even tell you the bad jokes. But yeah, there's a, that, that's been a problem, the way that we've kind of isolated ourselves from each other, especially as time gone on, that's blurred a lot more. But I go back, and that is not what was happening in 1975. That was not what was happening with Harvey Milk. It, women were very much separatists and very self-identified. Harvey kind of was at that moment when lesbian power really came forward in the sense of demanding an equal place and, you know, that we're part of – we are the struggle. And he was kind of the tip of the spear there in terms of changing the male idea of gay. Because up until then, I mean, you know, these old bar owners, you know, they're gay and they didn't give a about women at all. Yeah, so that's a problem. Sexism and racism as well. And we're still fighting it. We're still dealing with it. A lot of things have changed since you've been a child, of course. How do you think coming out and the process of coming out, being accepted from family and friends, is different than, let's say, 50 years ago? Not much, truthfully. I don't think there's much difference. I think that's really hard. I think that that's the thread that kind of connects everybody, my generation, your generation, all of us. That's a really hard thing is to come out, to be true to yourself. And that has not changed that much. I mean, I think there's more support now in the sense that like when I grew up, I thought I was the only one in my little town and that I was evil and sick and damned and all of those things. I think there's a little more support for people now in the sense that there's like, you know, GLSEN and Gay Straight Alliances and, and that if you are a gay kid or, you know, whatever, you're coming out is a little perhaps easier because there might be a little bit more support around you. But coming out to your family is never, ever easy. And so while, yes, there's a little bit of glitter and hope there, not much. I'm very sad about that. That's our failure. And I, I look at the suicide rates among gay teens, and it's horrifying. You know, I, I, I grew up wanting to kill myself. You know, I didn't kill myself, but I had those feelings. They never leave you. When, even at my age, they never leave you. And that's a failure on our part. And sadly, that really happens. You know, kids just give up. And, you know, life is unbearable. And we have failed. And so that's something we have to work on. How do you feel about the strain of gay Republicans in the U.S.? Well, I think that people think it's not very many people, but it's a lot of people. 20% of the vote in 2016, a gay vote I'm talking about, was for Trump. That's a problem. He's not our friend. They're deluded. They're blinded by comfort and luxury. 
it's all about money and privilege. And that is a problem, you know, that they can't see past that. You know, I, I, I don't have an answer for that other than we sure have a lot of work to do there. You know, and that's the work to be done is to convince those people that there's more to life than just their particular place, their white privileged place. Why do you think it's so difficult for people, not only gay Republicans, but people in general, to identify discrimination in gay communities and in race as well? Why do you think it's so hard for them to identify that and to act against it? Because they don't want to think about it. I don't want to know about that. Everything's just fine. You know, here in white America, I got my job, I got my house, I got my family. I don't want to know about Black Lives Matter. Those are just troublemakers in big cities and, you know, gay people are just, you know, the devil, you know, and, and wanton sexual, all kinds of things. You know, that's what they are. They are idiots. They walk around and they live in a cloud. You know, I, I'm sad to say that America has really become a very polarized country. And it's really not between left and right, Republican and Democrat. It's between smart people and dumb people. And part of the thing about the gay thing is that when you have churches full of people that are praying to God and Jesus to kill us, that we are bad, evil, terrible people that do not belong on this planet and should not exist forever and ever, amen, that is a problem. And until we confront that hatred, until we go to that place and convince them that actually I'm worth loving, that we're not going to get much farther. In fact, we're going to go back. That's what's happening now. We're going to go backwards. I mean, my whole life has been this, we're pushing for gay rights, and we're marching to the streets and Harvey and, you know, we survived AIDS and on and on and on. Look, and here we got gay marriage and Obama and all of a sudden, poof, it's all gone. And now we're going to go back. Years and years and years. Today, it's transgender bathrooms. Well, nobody cares about those kids. Goodbye. You know, tomorrow it'll be the textbooks. Nobody's going to have anything about gay nothing in their textbooks next year. And it will just go on and on and on. And every chance they have to roll back any kind of thing, their dream is somehow that they're going to get rid of gay marriage. And who knows? Another justice on the Supreme Court, and they might. That will change things. We've only gone forward in my lifetime. This is why I'm so depressed. My lifetime has been, you know, one of activism and, and building towards a better future. And now we're going to go backwards when all of the momentum and everything I was pushed, pushed, pushed forward. And now we're stopped. And we've never had that kind of feeling before. I mean, it was bad with Reagan. It was bad with Nixon. It was bad with Bush, but nothing like we have now. Even in those terrible times, we all thought, well, if we work hard and we organize and, you know, we strategize and we're smart, we're going to win. But smart doesn't win anymore. Stupid wins. And that is terrifying. How do you feel about President Trump repealing Obama's executive order to instill federal rights for transgender people? I am so shocked. I'm just I'm mortified. Ha, 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 ha. Of course they are. Transgender? No way. They represent such a minuscule part of the gay world. They don't matter. They're an easy target. They're easily victimized. 
and everybody thinks they're weird. So yeah, of course they are. And next it'll come for people that are okay and normal gay people. Yeah, that's what's happening. So how do I feel about that repeal? I'm Like I said, I'm shocked not. Of course they're going to repeal. That's just the tip of the iceberg. They're going to go after the most vulnerable first. And, you know, young, gay, transgendered, of course they're going to get them. You know, is it going to be rich white gays in Beverly Hills? Not yet, but wait and see. Very scarily like Hitler. It's exactly. Very much. Exactly. And if you look at Trump in particular, the way that he is consistently demonizing the media. We're, we're in a radio session and the way that Trump is going after the media and the, the, the media is the enemy of the people, quote unquote. First go after the media and then go after the judges and he's already there. You know, this whole so-called judge, he put that out and attacked judges. That's Hitler. You go after the media and you shut down a free press and then the next thing is you shut down a fair and open judiciary and then what do you got? You got a problem. I mean, people don't like to talk about these. They, oh, well, you're talking about Hitler and that's just crazy talk. Well, I'm sorry. That really did happen. Hitler really happened only 80 years ago. Here's what's scary. And he doesn't even get it in the sense that they're moving information. Hitler had print, radio, and movies. That's all there was in 1933. Well, now we've got print and radio and cable and internet and movies and you name it. And Trump is a master media manipulator. And so the tools available to him to uh, control information and thus control us are far broader than anything Hitler had. So I, when people talk about Hitler, and I do talk about it, I think of that as being dumb, that Hitler was stupid. This is Trump. This is Hitler squared. And people need to get with that, that it's beyond just the stereotype of, oh, that terrible Adolf Hitler, and really get with the program about what's really happening. Like I said, the two Americas are the smart America and the stupid America. And that's the moment we are at in history. It's this evolutionary moment, if you will, where either we're going to save our planet and we're going to become a loving, evolved species, or we're not. That's what I wake up to every day. That's why I keep going every day. I have to do everything I can right now to be as smart as I can, to learn as much as I can, to do as much as I can, to make art as best I can, and as much as I can do, to to stop it. That's those are that's our armor, if you will. That's 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 our defense. There's a poem from which refers – I'm sure you know this. You're familiar with this poem. Uh, it's referring – it refers to the Holocaust and it it goes something like this. Like first, I Hitler went after the businessmen oh, sure. and I didn't speak up for them. Yeah, right. Then he went for the oh, gays yeah, yeah. and didn't speak up for them. Oh, yeah. And then he went for me and there was no one left to speak for me. Right. Yeah. That's an old, an old axiom and it's quite yes. true. It's true. The, the key part of that, there was no one left to stand up for me because I didn't stand up for these other people. That's what that poem is about. And that's something that we have to learn. We have to stand up for other people. You know, a lot of people got in my face about Black Lives Matter. You know, this big movement over these terrible murders, police murders happening all over the country and still happening, by the way. And I was like, we have to pay attention to that. They're in the streets and they're mad and they're angry. And we have to pay attention to that. That's important for us to support. It's important for gay people to get behind that. 
oh, we don't want to know about that. I'm like, we have to know about that. We have to know about that or they're not going to know about us. And that's where I think education we're talking about earlier being so controlled now and the curricula is all subject to these dreadful Cretan school boards and, you know, take out Einstein and, you know, put in Jesus. That's, that's not good. And how, how are we ever going to learn about Martin Luther King? How are we ever going to learn about Malcolm X? How are we ever going to learn about those important parts of our history who are so important that they represent the real human values in every one of us? You know, Harvey Milk. This is Outcasting, Public Radio's LGBTQ youth program, produced by Media for the Public Good in New York, online at outcastingmedia.org. On this edition, I'm talking with Gilbert Baker, a gay activist and the creator of the rainbow flag. This is the second part of a two-part interview. On social media these days, there are so many stories about people being abused or being discriminated against, and a lot of people have taken to those. um, And they're a good source of exposure for civil rights. But a lot of people shrug those stories off or completely ignore them and why do you think this is? It's the know-nothings. I don't want to know. I don't want to know nothing about nobody's problems. That's what it's about. It's about know-nothingism. People are kind of like uh, numb. The only thing that cuts through is violence. You know, when I have to look at a picture of somebody that's all stitched up with bruises and battered, you know, some poor you know, transgender kid or gay guy in a bar or whatever, whatever, that moves me because I have to look at an image that's ugly. You have to think about what that really is. That's terrible that we're only moved by that. You know, when I hear stories of, you know, discrimination or that kind of thing that's maybe not so violent, and people do, they say, oh, well, that doesn't matter. You didn't get your jaw broken or anything bad, even though it is bad. And bullying can take all kinds of forms. You're talking about social media. That's something where bullying really happens to teenagers. And we have to be really aware of that and stop it. We have to stop it by being more loving people and certainly being better parents. Oftentimes, gay history isn't passed down as easily as, let's say, black history, because a lot of people view gay elders passing down information and history to younger gay people as being inappropriate, whereas an older African-American man is able to tell younger African-American people a multitude of things without it being regarded as... That's exactly correct. And the reason for that is because it's about sex. That's why you're called homosexuals as opposed to heterosexuals. It's about sex. It's about who we choose to love and how we choose to love. And, you know, when you do go there, it's a problem. And right away, they're, well, if you, well that's pedophilia, you know. And it, they have thrown that at us for 100 years. Is it inappropriate? Well, it's inappropriate to go have sex with children. But it's not inappropriate to talk about having sex with adults, consenting. That's good. Children should know that so that they can have healthy, wonderful relationships. That's something we've been dealing with for 100 years. It's, oh, you're all pedophiles, you know. That's hard. 
because it isn't true, and it just goes to fear. It just goes to, you know, again, back to the church, back to pulpits. You know, that's what they preach. We're all pedophiles and sinners, and that's what, they, that's what people know. How do you feel when you see your flag being used as a symbol of pride and strength in our community? Well, first of all, it's our flag. I have a saying, you can't design a flag. A flag is torn from the soul of the people. And the reason that the rainbow flag works so brilliantly is because nobody owns it. It belongs to, the rainbow belongs to everybody and the flag belongs to everybody. So my idea about what it represents and what that means to me is different than you and everybody else has their own thing. That's power. And that's beautiful. So how do I feel? I walk down the street and I feel good. I look up and I don't really think of it as my work. I mean, if I actually made it and sewed it, I think, well, that's my work up there. You know, I sewed that flag. But, you know, I can see thousands and thousands of flags at a gay pride parade that are made in China. It's still my flag, I suppose, or as I prefer to think of it, our flag. But I'm proud when I see my work. My work is beautiful. It's art. And as a collective thing, as the rainbow flag has become more and more a phenomena, it blows my mind. You know, I walk down the street, I can't pay my rent, and I'm seeing rainbow dog collars and, you know, rainbow everything. But all of that is spread through its commercialization. It, more and more and more and more people are more and more aware of who we are as a gay people. That You know, that's why it works. That's why it's wonderful. So – how do I feel? I feel – I guess the word would be ambivalent. I have my, I have my ups and downs on that. It depends on if I'm paying my rent or if I'm you know, driving the Cadillac. It depends. <laughs> Recently, a lot of new flags have been emerging for smaller denominations within the LGBT oh, yeah. flag. Sure. Of course, I find that really interesting. And in a way, they're kind of all based on the rainbow flag in terms of you know, a number of stripes, you know, the transgender flag, which – is kind of the light blue pink thing, which I'm not sure I really completely agree with, but I get it. I, I was at a gay pride in Toronto a couple of years ago, great event, and they had all of them, all of the pansexual, you name it. They had a, like so many different variations and identities. Like I just, I just laughed. I just laugh. I think it's, I think it's actually kind of cool. All of that just only reinforces how powerful the rainbow has become. What advice would you give to the new generation of young gay people? I would say learn as much as you can. Don't go stupid. Go smart. I would say be true to yourself. Everyone has a calling. Everyone has something they're good at. Everyone has a part of them that they can contribute to make a better world and you should explore that and find it and do it. And whatever that is, whether it's you know music or art or writing or science or you name it, Find what you're good at doing, what you love to do, and that's what you should put your life into. So that's my advice for young people is be true to yourself and, you know, then life will be good to you. Can you let us know a little bit about your secret drag career? <laughs> I, uh, well, like I said, I always love to dress up. And let's talk about it. I always love to dress up. Uh, even as a child, five years old or whatever, I mean, I was running around in my aunt's prom dresses, for God's sake. And then as I got older and older, I really – I got a little bit more brazen with the idea that I was born in the wrong body. You know, it was, I should have been a woman or something. And then when I really came out, I was like, well, I, I, OK, but I'm embracing my masculinity. I'm not, you know, becoming butch, but, you know, I'm not going to have surgery. You know, and I really got more comfortable with being a gay 
male homosexual, and that that was a good thing. And gay male sexuality is a good thing. And I, uh, at the same time, I look great in a dress. So I'm sewing and I'm sewing and I'm making gowns and dresses for drag queens and theater, and I made them for myself. But I just never had to go to the uh, the trouble of adopting a female persona. You know, I think a lot of people that that explore with that. The transvestite, or you know, if you will, are pretty much straight. But a lot of gay people are very, very, uh, shall we say, self-expressive when it comes to their wardrobes, and I really love that. And so, while I never had to be, you know, uh, adopt a, a female persona, I always like wearing a dress or a gown. I look great in them, and so I would be okay. I went to get a library card. And I went and I was wearing uh, tennis shoes, blue jeans, and a little tank top. said, All-American boy. And the entire transaction, even my card, said, Miss. They just took one look at me and my hair and, you know, that was it. You know, even though I was dressed to be very boy-like, right? I find that hilarious. So as I got older, I really got into that. I really got into pushing the boundaries there. And I love to sew. So a lot of my costumes were very political and, you know, really gorgeous, of course. Um, and then one of my, my – uh, one of my friends dubbed me Busty Ross because I would make costumes in the theme of the American flag. So many dresses and gowns, stars and stripes, every which way you can ever imagine. And rainbow, of course. But the stars and stripes, always one of my big motifs. And so I was dubbed Busty Ross because I always had these big <laughs> – and I, I kind of stuck. And I thought it was funny because we, we, we laugh. In the flag world, we, we – revere and laugh about Betsy Ross, which is where Busty Ross comes from. And of course, Betsy Ross is, quote unquote, the mother of the American flag, which is another story and a myth, by the way. But anyway, I I, uh, I like it. I see pictures. The thing is, for me, it all reduces down into the incredible photographs. And so, you know, now I'm really old. There's no makeup and heels that's going to help me anymore. There's just Photoshop. That's all that's left for me now. So, why? <laughs> but I still think about it. In fact, only today I was thinking, I want a fringe dress, that Oscar dress she was wearing the other night, uh, you know, uh, Emma. And I love that. I thought, I want a dress just like that. I want to have a rainbow fringe. <laughs> But I have I haven't sewn it yet. But just wait, might. <laughs> yeah, the, like the 1920s. Like oh, I love that. Shiny flapper. Oh, yeah, I love yeah, it. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> Gilbert Baker, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Alex. Gilbert Baker was a gay activist and the creator of the rainbow flag. We recorded this interview barely a month before Gilbert's untimely death at the age of 65, on March 31st, 2017. This is one of his last interviews. This has been part two of a two-part interview. Both parts are available on our website, outcastingmedia.org. Along with many other LGBTQ people, I was saddened by Gilbert's sudden death. I reflect on Gilbert's life and death in the May 2017 edition of Outcasting Overtime. You can find it on our website, outcastingmedia.org. That's it for this edition of Outcasting, Public Radio's LGBTQ youth program, where you don't have to be queer to be here. This program has been produced by the Outcasting team, including youth participants Ian, Becca, Ari, Jamie, Callie, Adam, Danielle, Andrea, 
Brianna, Emma, Sharin, Jessica, Sarah, Dhruv, Lauren, Dante, Josh, and me, Alex. Our executive producer is Mark Sofis, and our assistant producer is Alex Mintz. Outcasting is a production of Media for the Public Good, a listener-supported independent producer based in New York. More information about Outcasting is available at outcastingmedia.org. You'll find information about the show, listen links for all Outcasting episodes, and the podcast link. Outcasting is also on social media. Connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Outcasting Media. If you're having trouble, whether it's at home or school or just with yourself, call the Trevor Project hotline at 866-488-7386 or visit them online at thetrevorproject.org. The Trevor Project is an organization dedicated to LGBTQ youth suicide prevention. Call them if you have a problem. Seriously, don't be scared. They even have an online chat you can use if you don't want to talk on the phone. Again, the number is 866-488-7386. Being different isn't a reason to hate or hurt yourself. You can also find a link on our site, outcastingmedia.org, under Outcasting LGBTQ Resources. If you missed the first part of this episode, you can listen online at outcastingmedia.org. I'm Alex. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time. If you enjoyed this edition of Outcasting, please make a tax-deductible gift to Media for the Public Good. We can't do programs like this without your support. Visit mfpg.org and click on Support. And connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and YouTube at Outcasting Media. Thanks.